sermon, The Soul's Espousal to Christ, um, I was even more impressed with, with the importance of this truth that two, two become one, our union with Christ. And I just found myself having a, a hunger to know, to know more deeply uh, what this means in, in real life situations. I mean, what, what, does, what does union with Christ or being one with Christ mean when you're just busy about your day's work? Uh, how does this change things when, when you're awake at midnight or maybe 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever or 7 and feeling somewhat alone or, or empty or maybe that you have no sense of God's presence even at that moment? What does being one with Christ mean to you when you face some new responsibility or some pressure is suddenly added to your life? How does this union with Christ just affect our, our inner thoughts and our, just our, this inner world of thoughts and feelings that we, that we all live in at, at all times? Now, I realize, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that this uh, may not sort of satisfy the need for a typical Christmas message. Uh, but in a sense, this is the ultimate gift of God. Christ come into the world, or Christ came into the world to take you to himself in a relationship of oneness, of love, communion, and joy. And only human marriage, of all the, diff- of all the different human relationships that there are, uh, friends, parent-child, you, you know, of all the different human relationships there are, only marriage, only marriage even comes close to presenting a picture of what this union with Christ is like. And it, it isn't even a complete picture of that. Our union with Christ is much more profound, um, much more total, uh, even than human marriage. And of course, Christ came into, into the world to save sinners. I mean, God, the, the very reason of, of Christmas is the, the reason that there's joy, the reason that there's peace on earth, the, is that Jesus Christ came into the world to bring peace. He came into the world to bring relationship with God. But our passage in Ephesians 5 tells us that that the very reason he did that, the very reason that he took away our sins was to make us his bride. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself. And the very reason that he came, the very reason that he cleansed us was that he might present the church, that's you and me, to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we would be holy and blameless or without blemish. So Jesus came into the world to bear your sins, to bear my sins. He went to the cross, um, he went through all that he suffered for you so that he could take you into this union, that he, so that he could take you as his bride. 
He had to remove the blemishes of your sins so that, so that he could take you unto himself, so that he could present you to himself as his bride. But he did that. He did that so that, so that you might become his spouse, so that you might become one with him. Now I'm going to quote Edward Pease, who I referred to earlier, this old Puritan, and I think you'll be blessed by this as I was. He said, through Christ, I hate it when I start a quote out wrong. <laughs> Let me start again. Okay, back up. Though, though Christ and the soul were two before, two who were strangers to each other, yet in this marriage they become one, and so much one that all the world can never make them two again. And this union is a full union, a union between the whole person of Christ and the whole person of the believer. Neither is our soul alone joined to the soul of Christ alone, nor is our flesh alone joined to the flesh of Christ alone, but the whole person of every believer is truly joined to the whole person of Christ. I mean, no wonder Paul says this is a profound mystery. I want to go on and just talk about what I, what I see in, in Scripture to be the benefits of, of this union. And then and throughout this, I, I, I really want this to, um, to impact us or reach, reach us where we live on a, on a very, uh, very day-to-day uh, level. So what are the benefits of this union? Well, n- number one, I think I have five here, but number one, all that Christ is and has is yours. In this marriage union, we share all things in common with Christ. You know, in a human marriage, all that each, house, that each spouse has belongs to the other. I mean, you, in, a, in a marriage, it's one of the characteristics of marriage is that you hold things in common. You you have, you have one checkbook, uh, one house, you, you, you eat one meal together, you eat around one table, even your bodies belong to one another. So it is with Christ uh, and, and the phrase, I am his and he is mine, it is, very, is very much a description of the, of the marital relationships and, and it's a, relation, a description of the relationship with Christ. Christ freely shares in this, in this union that we have with Christ, Christ freely shares all with us all that he has and is. He is a son. He is the son of God, so are you. He sits at the right hand of the Father. You are seated also at the right hand there with him. He is loved by the Father, so are you. He is accepted by the Father, so are you. He is an heir of God, and so are you, a joint heir with him. He's a king, and you also will reign with him. And again, I quote Edward Pease. He, this quote is, is, is Christ speaking to you. So I want, I want you to prepare your mind that this is, this is the words of Jesus Christ to you. I will be yours, says Christ to your soul. I will be yours to love you, to save you, to make you happy in me and with me. I, with all my riches and treasures, will be fully and forever yours. In giving himself, he gives the best gift that either heaven or earth affords. 
He gives peace. He gives grace. He gives righteousness. He gives the favor of God. He gives heaven. He gives all. Oh, sweet gift. And it's just an amazing thing that in our union with Christ, all, all that he has and is, he freely gives to us and wants us to, uh, to, to realize to, that we have it, to, to enjoy that we have it. Do you feel empty and poor in your spirit? John says, of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. In him the fullness of deity dwells and in him you've been made complete or full. Do you feel full of faults, of your own faults and keenly aware of sinful blemishes? He brings to you his righteousness and certainly his, that objective, perfect, total obedience and righteousness by which we are justified but also imparts to us his practical a practical righteousness for, for life and for living. Whatever Christ is or has belongs to you. Do you have sorrows and griefs? He bears them for you and with you and gives you praise for your heaviness. Do you have sicknesses and diseases? By his wounds you are healed. He is, he is risen with healing in his wings. In him we died to sin, sin, in him we are raised to life, in him we are victorious over death. As it says, for in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It's through our union with Christ that we participate in and enjoy every one of these riches and benefits. The second benefit of this union with Christ is that you become the object of his love and delight and care for eternity. He calls himself our bridegroom so that he might emphasize his love for us, his bride. Love is the very essence of marriage and the very heart of our bond with Christ is this love. It's certainly a mutual love, but it begins with his love, the love of the bridegroom for his bride. Christ takes you to himself in this union because he loves you. Uh, he has affections. He has feelings for you. He loves you as his spouse. And in the, our passage, you know, it said, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so, in, in a sense, this is a collective love. He loves, he loves the church. He loves this church he loves all of you he loves all of you together as his church but he he also loves us at an individual level and that's why the scripture not only can say that Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church but like Paul said he loved me and gave himself for me and so you and you can say that too and I hope you can and I hope you do often confess that or say that. And in our passage, husbands are commanded to, to love their wives uh, just as Christ loved the church. Husbands are commanded to nourish and cherish their wives just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. And just think how senseless this command to husbands would be 
if Christ did not love and nourish and cherish the church? I mean, this command is given to husbands because Christ is the supreme example of loving and nourishing and cherishing his people. So as your spouse, uh, I want you to know, and much more importantly, God wants you to know that, that Christ, Christ loves you in this union that he, is, that he has brought you into. Uh, he loves you, he cherishes you, and he, he nourishes or feeds and tends you. He watches over you for good. That, that is, that is the, uh, that's the disposition of Christ toward you. Um, you, ha- you, you have an, an amazing Savior who loves you and cherishes you, and his, his disposition is to watch over you for good, to nourish you. Um, no matter what other sig- significant person or people in your life uh, may have turned against you, or despised you, or presently despise you, or have hurt you, uh, Christ will love you, and his love for you will never fail. His love for you is there at all times, and in all places, and in all circumstances. Uh, I love that statement in in the... uh, Gospel, I believe it's in John. Um, he was talking about his disciples, and he said, "Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end." He loves you with a perfect love, an endless love, and a great love. Could you, Cindy, could you give me a Kleenex? Josh, Josh and I are both emotional this morning. But. There's certainly a legal aspect to our salvation and to justification. Uh, God looks upon Christ and declares you legally just and righteous, and that's a huge blessing. But our relationship with God is not primarily legal or impersonal. It is much more like a marriage where, where, become, where because a bridegroom loves his bride, he takes her to himself and he rejoices over her. Um, Isaiah the prophet tells us, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. And, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I acknowledge, I, I have a weakness for getting emotional, but, you know, God gets emotional about you. He has affections for you. He really does. You know, Psalm 16 is a prophetic uh, psalm about Christ. You maybe, maybe are aware of it. It's, it's used, that psalm is used uh, to talk about how God did not abandon his Holy One to decay. I mean, it's, it's used as prophetically many times in, in the New Testament, even as uh, speaking about Christ and that God raised him from the dead. And while that psalm, throughout that psalm, it does express the, the mind of, of David who wrote it, 
it also expressed prophetically the mind of Christ. And in the psalm, uh, he says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Christ's delight is in his people. That's, that's what all his delight is in. It's in people like you and me, as amazing as that is. And of course, our response to Jesus as, as our spouse, our bridegroom, should be that of love and affection too. Uh, you know, I think one of the images in the Gospels that probably makes us feel somewhat uncomfortable is, is that of John, the Apostle John, leaning up against the breast of Jesus. And yet it's, it's a picture for the kind of closeness that, that John had with Jesus and, and really that we are to have with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I, you know, I love that verse because it's, it's just like, if, if you want a big picture of why God called you, it's this. I mean, God, if you, if you want to just bring it down to real simple, basic, God called you because he called you into fellowship, into communion with his son, Jesus Christ. And as, as I've already said, um, you know, Paul spoke of Christ's love for him in a very personal way. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about in Peter how Peter said, though you do not physically see Jesus Christ, yet you love him and, and you believe in him and you re- greatly rejoice in him with joy inexpressible and full of, jo- of glory. And these kind of verses and statements, they show us that the gift of relationship, this being called into this fellowship with, with Jesus Christ, this gift of salvation is to bring us into an experiential uh, fellowship with Christ, a, a relationship of communion and, and of pleasurable, sweet fellowship. There's a, a Psalm 1. 104, 34, in the, in the King James Version, it says, My meditation of him shall be sweet. Some of the newer translations says, Let my meditation of him be sweet. Or some, there's different variations on it. But Charles Spurgeon, he took this verse um, and said this, My meditation of him shall be sweet. It is meditation of him that is sweet, not merely doctrine about him, but of himself. Not merely of his offices and his work, but of his own dear self. There lies the sweetness, and the closer we come to his blessed person, the more truly we have approached the very center of bliss. And if you don't know what bliss means, it means total, pure joy, happiness. Okay, that was the, the second benefit of our union, union is that you become the object of his love and delight and care for eternity. The third benefit of this union is that you are never rejected, forsaken, or left alone. There's a verse in Hosea that says, I will betroth you to me forever. 
when Christ takes you to himself, he takes you to himself uh, forever. And of course, most of us are familiar with the verse from Hebrews. He himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And, uh, you know, Jesus uh, is, he's, he's, he's with you. It's, uh, that's part of the benefit of this union, that he is with you. He, I mean, Jesus knows where you sleep. He knows where you work. He knows the route that you drive to work. He knows where your favorite places are. Uh, he knows where you are this morning. He knows where you're going to be this afternoon. And he is with you uh, at all times and in all places. David said, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And there's, there's some translations that say, you know, if I, make my, if, I, if I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in, or if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. I think Sheol is a better translation. But the idea is that no matter... No matter what extreme situations you may find yourself in, no matter what bizarre places you may find yourself in, no matter what crazy circumstances you may experience, Christ is right there with you. And he's with you to see you through. With you to see you through. No matter uh, what pain or sorrow you may feel, Uh, perhaps pain or sorrow that no one else could understand, uh, Christ is with you in your sorrows. No matter what loneliness you may feel at certain times of the day or night or certain seasons of your life, Christ is with you. No matter what significant person in your life may have forsaken you, Christ will never, ever forsake you. He is faithful to be with you. And this is a rich benefit of this uh, union that he has brought you into with himself. Fourth, the fourth benefit of this union is that your union with Christ means that you have a complete adequacy uh, for life. And we've heard a little bit to this later or earlier about um, all that Christ has and is is yours. And this 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 could be a, a little bit of of a just a Reemphasis upon on that point, but I, I wanna, wanted to emphasize it because I think it's it's really important. You have complete adequacy for life. Uh, Philippians four thirteen, Paul said, "I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me." And while that verse has often been pulled. <laughs> pulled out of context to mean a lot of different things. Paul, Paul came to the conclusion that he could do all things. The, the Amplified says, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with his inner strength and confident peace. But Paul was confessing. He was, he was making an open confession. He was confessing boldly that he could bear any trial. And keep in mind he was in in prison when he said this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
But he was boldly confessing that he could bear any trial, that he could perform any duty that he would be required to perform, that he could handle any temptation, that he could deal with any adversity, that he could deal with adversity or prosperity. And that's basically what he said. said. I, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I, I know how to get along in humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And my personal paraphrase of this verse is basically this. I can handle anything that comes my way through Christ who strengthens me. Anything that life throws at me, so to speak. And Paul said he had learned, he had learned the secret of living. He had learned the secret to life. And in a sense, this really is the secret to life. He had learned the secret of living in every, every situation. And that secret was the strength that flowed to him out of this union with Christ. It is, not, it is not the strength or power that comes from sort of a brash self-confidence, just sort of a boastful proud, I can do everything or I can do anything. Uh, it was not the power of positive thinking. Uh, it was not a strength or power that came from his own determination. Uh, he simply knew that his strength was from Christ and that it was always available to him because Christ was always available to him. And he boldly relied on that strength at all times in all situations. And that, that was just life as he knew it. And it, it can be life as you know it. It's a power for life that, be, that can be had when you feel very empty or weak. And that's the paradox of this union with Christ. It is a strength that you can draw upon Christ when you are um, not at the top of your game, so to speak. I mean, I mean, you need the strength of Christ always, but man, there's times where you just, just feel, you know, just, just not there. In fact, I told these last couple of weeks, I've kind of been laid up, as some of you know, and I told Cindy a couple of times, man, I just feel so good for nothing. I mean, just you just I mean you just feel like laying around. I mean, it, it's amazing how how um, useless, uh, kind of worthless, empty you can feel at certain times like that. You just feel good for nothing. But when you're not really sure if if you're good for anything, uh, when you're really not not sure at all how you can go on, you can look to Christ and trust that his strength will be manifested in you and in your situation. And you can be at peace and rest in that. A commentator by the name of Albert Barnes um, pointed to these lessons from Philippians 4.13. Because of this statement that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he said... Number one, we need not sink under any trial, for there is one who can strengthen us. Number two, we need not yield to any temptation. There is one who is able to make a way for our escape. We need not be, we need not be harassed and vexed and tortured with improper thoughts. There is one who can enable us to banish such thoughts from the mind. 
We need not dread what is to come. Trials, temptations, poverty, persecution may await us, but we need not sink into despondency. At every step of life, Christ is able to strengthen us and bring us triumphantly through. What a privilege it is, therefore, to be a Christian, to feel in the the trials of life that we have one friend, unchanging and most mighty, who can always help us. Let us not shrink from duty. Let us not dread anything or fear even the bed of death. In all circumstances, Christ, our unchanging friend, can uphold us. Let your eye and the affections of your heart be fixed on him. Let simple, fervent prayer be directed always to him when trials come, when temptations assail, when duty presses hard upon us, and when a crowd of unholy and forbidden thoughts rush into the soul, and we shall be safe. Because of your union with Christ, you can rely on his strength in all these situations and you can face life with confidence. The fifth benefit of our union with Christ is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness for life. And as I said, sometimes we feel good for nothing. Um, and, And... Thank God that he gives us the ability to bear fruit. Um, out of the marriage relationship come children. Out of the, your union with Christ comes spiritual fruit. Um, so do not fear that you are useless or, or will be useless. Abide in your union with Jesus and you will bear fruit. And that's, of course, base, basically what John fifteen five says. If, if Jesus said, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Or if a, if a man abides in me, if a person, if anyone abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And it's really this union with Jesus that we're talking about that is the, uh, the wellspring of all fruitfulness and godliness. And so when you're keen, just keenly aware of your own need for spiritual progress, when you're keenly aware of your own need for spiritual fruit, um, when you're keenly aware of your own need for just more godly behavior, um, when you're keenly aware or just have a great desire to be useful to the master, uh, to be used by God, just the, the solution is not to get all upset and down on yourself. The solution is to abide in Jesus. Paul said in Romans 7, you you died in your relationship to the law and you were married or joined to Christ so that we might bear fruit for God. So it's, it's out of this union as you live in him that you will fulfill all that God would have you to be and all that God would have you to do. All right, then how do we how do we apprehend this, or um, again, to borrow Pam's phrase, how do we walk in this? You know, it's, not, it's not what we know, it's what we walk in that matters. So wh- how do we walk in the reality of our union with Christ? First, um, exercise your faith in regard to this marvelous mystery. 
It's a mystery. It's a marvelous mystery. Uh, but exercise your faith in regard to this mystery. This union with Christ is something that you embrace and accept by faith. It is not, ach- it's not achieved by some special um, experience that you have or by some great human effort. Nevertheless, you must, you must put your faith in these truths that Christ is in you and that you are in him and that, I mean, and that you are in union with Christ. Um, you know, Paul said something very interesting in Ephesians. It's always, always stayed, stuck out to me. He prays for the Ephesians that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. And Christ was in their hearts. But he's, he's, he's praying that Christ would be so real that, it would, that they would just be so like totally aware that Christ is living, dwelling in their hearts, and he says, by faith. Because it happens by faith. This is not something for a certain type of person who is just more mystical or, has, or very, more imaginative. Um, it's for all believers to enjoy. But, but it, does, it does take the exercise of faith. Now, you know, in Romans 10, it says that you're not saved. Let's talk, talk about just the experience of salvation. It says you are not saved by performing some heroic task. That's, that's a paraphrase. But it's, I mean, you're, you're not saved by climbing up to heaven. You know, who shall ascend to heaven and bring Christ down? Um, it says you're, you're saved. How are you saved? You're saved by something very, very near to you. Not, not, you're, you're saved by, by something that, that, is, that is not some great task. You're saved by confessing with your mouth, by confessing something with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing something in your heart that, Christ raised, that God raised him from the dead. And you really, you go on in your Christian experience in the same way. And so I would encourage you this morning to, to encourage, to confess to confess Christ, confess this mystery, confess this union. And I, I would ask you are, are you, are you confessing Jesus Christ as the one? When I say confessing, I mean expressing in a, in, in a, in a statement of faith. This is my personal statement of faith. This is what I believe. So are you making this confession of Christ as the one who loves you like a bridegroom loves his bride? Are you confessing him as the one who loved you and gave himself for you? Are you confessing him as the one who delights in you? Are you confessing your oneness with Jesus? Are you confessing that he set you free from sin? Are you confessing your new life in him? Are you confessing that you can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you? Um, It is through confessing these realities by faith that Christ is experienced and that he is real and present to you. And I think it does help to verbalize your, your statements. I mean, this I believe. This is what I believe. Uh, even, you know, David said in Psalm 91, uh, talks about how he who 
by he who dwells uh, in the shadow, he who dwells in the Lord will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. But, but he, he, David says, I will say to the Lord. Okay, he says, this is what I say. This is what I say to the Lord. You are my refuge. You are my refuge and my strength. And it helps to, to just to verbalize, to say what you believe. Confess, this is what I believe. I, I believe that you are my refuge and my strength. So I would encourage you to, to say, to, to speak in your heart or speak out loud to Jesus. I trust in you to be the strength that I need in this day and in this hour. I trust in you to be the strength that I need in this season of my life. I trust in you to be the strength that I need in this hour of the night. To be the strength that my mind needs in this situation. Uh, I trust you to be the strength that I need as I, as I go about this duty that is before me. I trust you to be the strength of my Christian living. Um, in, my, in my own extreme neediness and my extreme weakness... Uh, the solution to all that I need is in you, Jesus. And then uh, second, second way to apprehend this or, or walk in this is just the practice of fellowship. Practice of fellowshipping with Christ. You've been called into fellowship with Christ. Um, so utilize this free and comfortable union you have with him. It's a, it's a marriage relationship, but in, in another picture that we're given in Revelation, Jesus stands at, at the door of your life and he knocks. He says, if you open the door, I will come in and I will dine with you. Um, so practice that. Just practice opening the door of your heart and letting him in. Say, you know, Jesus, just you know, come in, dine with me. Tell him, that, tell him that you love him. Tell him that you want him and your life uh, in your to dwell in your heart so and I, and I think I think it I think it's important to have this relationship of affection with Christ tell him that you love him before you go to bed tell him you love him when you wake up during the night thank him for his presence thank him for his supply of strength thank him for his faithfulness to you in your darkest hours in your times of most need and just you know set aside time to talk with him and then Third, um, ap- third way to apply or bring this more into our lives to walk in this is to uh, just to contemplate or think much on this great mystery. Um, just be, be, be interested, I guess. Get interested in this mystery. Get interested in this union uh, with Christ that, that, that you are in him and he is is in you. And as you read, as you read through the New Testament, you see it's, uh, it's on, on every, just on every page. He's, he's in you, you are in him. This is our, it's our hope of glory. Um, no longer I, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ in all its incredible facets. We could never even begin to cover uh, the the, the greatness, the, the gloriousness of, of the gift of Christ, the treasure that he is to us. But I, I pray, God, that uh, from, 
from these uh, truths this morning, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts to more and more understand, appreciate, and walk in the beauty, the love, the communion, the fellowship of, of this union with Christ. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you gave yourself, that you gave yourself for us uh, in order to present us to yourself as your bride. And we know that we had a lot of blemish, blemishes and, and sins and we had a lot of cleaning up that we needed. But you, you came down to, to clean us up, to remove our blemishes so that we could be presented to you as your bride. And we thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. May God bless you this Sunday afternoon.